Good morning. I have not had the chance to meet you yet. My name is Ryan. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Arrow Heights. We are delighted that you are here with us today as we open God's word together. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72 today. Mark 14, 66 through 72. And we're continuing today in our walk through the book of Mark. And at this point in Mark's account, Jesus has about 13 hours to live. He has come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. He's been betrayed by one of his own chosen 12 disciples. He's been arrested by the Roman military, handed over to the Jewish religious leaders, the court of the Sanhedrin. Where as we saw last week, they, they broke virtually every single one of their own laws in the sham of a trial that they used to convict Jesus. Because by their own laws, trials could only be held in public during daylight hours at the temple after the accused had time to mount a defense. And convictions involving the death penalty had to be substantiated by two to three witnesses, had to allow a day before a sentence was carried out, and could not take place during the Passover. The religious leaders, however, took Jesus immediately after his arrest in the middle of the night, not to the temple in public, but to the high priest's house in private. And despite having no evidence and no actual charge or corroborating witnesses against him, the Sanhedrin declared Jesus was guilty and deserving of death. And what did the Sanhedrin determine Jesus was guilty of? Verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed, son of God? And Jesus said, I am. Am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. The religious leaders condemned Jesus to death because he claimed rightly that he was God. Jesus was condemned to die for telling the truth. And as Mark concludes this absolute farce of a trial, and as the blows rain down on Jesus, his face begins to swell, and the mocking jeers from the temple guards echo around the courtyard below. Mark follows the trail of echoes from the unjust trial taking place in the room above, to another trial taking place in the courtyard below. And what we find below is not the accosting demands of high-profile religious leaders, but just persistent inquiries from the mouth of a little servant girl. Whereas in the room above, Jesus, though falsely accused, remains silent. At the trial below, the suspect, rightly identified, was shouting, Shouting curses and swearing. Whereas below, above Jesus' confession of his identity cost him his life. Below, 
a man made bold attempts to conceal his identity in an effort to preserve his. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's, let's start here. I think Peter truly loved and desired to follow Jesus. And we even have some great moments of sincere devotion between Peter and Jesus. Now, after the, the crowds leave Jesus by the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 6, verse 67, it's, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mark 8, 29 through 30, Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. In John 13, when Jesus gets up to wash the disciples' feet at the Passover meal, says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Even as we read a few weeks ago in Mark 14, 29, after Jesus predicted that one of his disciples would betray him, says, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Yet verse 30, and Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Verse 31, but Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now, Peter had an ideal of himself in his mind that he was with Jesus, no matter what. He had the posters on his wall, the jersey on his back. He led the chants and the cheers. Jesus, Peter was team Jesus, in theory. In practice, however, when the rubber met the road, Peter sometimes struggled. We see this in Matthew 14, 28 through 30, where Jesus comes walking out on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. In Mark 8, 31 through 33, it says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, Peter could be a man of great courage when it came to defending Jesus. Yet when the winds turned, he could become much more concerned with defending himself. As we see in the text, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Okay, so Mark says, below in the courtyard. Now, in ancient Israel, large homes like Caiaphas's were basically large rectangular structures with multiple stories of rooms that surrounded a courtyard in the middle where people could gather. If you've ever been to an embassy suite, this is kind of the setup just not as big and without the complimentary breakfast. But to get into the courtyard, visitors would have had to come in through a gated entrance, and the gated entrance led to a passageway or a gateway that led to the courtyard. And because Mark says Peter was below in the courtyard, we know Jesus had been taken upstairs into one of the main rooms where the Sanhedrin gathered to conduct their trial. Now, because it was late, the courtyard gate was closed. Now, in John's account, in John 18, 15 through 17, we read this. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that disciple was John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also were not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. So from John's account, we learn an interesting detail. And that's that Peter was not the only disciple who followed Jesus to Caiaphas. John also followed Jesus. But note that he came, chapter 18, 15, with Jesus. Peter, however, in Mark 14, 54, followed Jesus at a distance. Then upon discovering Peter was outside, John went back and talked to the servant girl at the gate to let him in. So verse 67. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway 
and the rooster crowed. So once Peter got in, he went not to where he could hear or see what was going on with Jesus. Rather, he went to the fire to warm himself with others in the courtyard. And upon seeing Peter warming himself by the fire with his face illuminated, the servant girl asks Peter if he also is one of Jesus' disciples. So, so this verse, combined with John's account, tells us a few things. One, it tells us that the servant girl not only knew John, but she knew that John was a disciple of Jesus. She asked if Peter was also a disciple of Jesus, as she knew John to be. But two, if that's the case, then John wasn't hiding the fact that he was a disciple. John was there at the house of the high priest as one of Jesus' known disciples. And what was happening to John? Well, apparently nothing was happening to John. At least nothing worth of any gospel writers making mention of it. John wasn't being flogged, beaten, or dragged before the Sanhedrin for having been with Jesus. John wasn't being spit upon or mocked or struck alongside Jesus. We can even deduce that the religious leaders weren't all that concerned about catching Jesus' disciples or averting some great disturbance because they only guarded the gate with a little girl. All of this goes to show that contrary to what seems to be a great fear in Peter's mind, there was no immediate threat for a disciple of Jesus that night in the courtyard. Yet upon being asked if he also was with Jesus the Nazarene, Peter retreats. Verse 68, it says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. This word know in the Greek is oida. It means to have a theoretical knowledge or to know about something. And then this word understand in the Greek is epistemai. It means to have a practical knowledge or to know personally. So in making this statement in regard to Jesus, Peter is making a total and complete denial of his knowledge of or affiliation with Jesus in any way. Peter says, not only do I not know what this guy is up to or what he's all about, I don't even know who he is. And then wanting to hide himself in a more discreet location, Peter runs back into the covered passageway that led from the gate to the courtyard. And at this point, we are told a rooster crowed. Now, did Peter hear the rooster? We don't know. Certainly nothing in his behavior indicates that if he did, it impacted him in any way. In verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, even though Peter has gone into the shadows to hide from any accusation that he might be associated with Jesus, the servant girl persists. And she points to Peter again and says, This man is one of them. 
there seems to be some important effort or desire on behalf of those gathered in the courtyard to identify anyone who had been with Jesus. Now, why was this the case? Well, we don't exactly know. But ever since Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, the events surrounding him had been the talk among everyone. Especially now at Caiaphas' house as Jesus has been arrested under the cover of night, taken away from the public view, and the Sanhedrin has all gathered, the people below in the courtyard were likely trying to get any information that they could. They couldn't just search hashtag Caiaphas or live stream the Sanhedrin meeting. But it seems in the courtyard, the servant girl and the bystanders weren't looking for people to tar and feather. They just wanted information. It may even have been the case that in the courtyard, the Sanhedrin was, was trying to rally people who had been around Jesus to testify at his trial. Why then would Peter have been so afraid to admit that he was with Jesus? You know, the answer may be as simple as this. If people knew Peter had been with Jesus, he would have had to talk about Jesus in a time when Jesus was not popular. And that frightened Peter. Now, again, let's, let's try to, to give Peter the benefit of the doubt. The first time Peter was identified, perhaps he was caught off guard. He may have just been scared or intimidated in the moment. But by the time of this second accusation, Peter has had time to think. This didn't happen as rapid fire as it seems to us just reading the text. These events likely took place over the course of an hour or two. His answer to their question this time is premeditated. Peter has knowingly decided to disavow Jesus in order to save himself from having to testify about anything to anyone regarding Jesus. But still, Peter has another chance. Mark says a third time Peter was confronted. Verse 70, after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, how'd they know that he was a Galilean? Well, if you remember, Galilee was kind of a, a backwoods hick country. Galileans had a unique and identifiable way in which they talked. Now, I know we can't imagine that today in Oklahoma. But when Peter told the people he didn't know Jesus, he was given away by his accent. Okay, so once shown to be a disciple by the fact he came in with John, again by the fact that his face showed in the light, and yet again given away by his Galilean accent for the third time in a matter of hours, Peter denies Jesus the Christ. And not only does Peter deny their claim... 
he gets angry about it. Verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. This word curse in the Greek is anathematizo. It's from which we get the English word anathema or anathematize, which is a very harsh word that means to pronounce something as being cursed by God. Peter even began to swear or to, to make an oath. Some scholars even think that by, by using these words, Mark is indicating that Peter was outright using profanity in his denunciation of any affiliation with Jesus. In effect, he's saying, I swear to God, cross my heart, hope to die, I don't even know. And what does he say? I don't know Jesus? No, Peter says, I don't know this man of whom you speak. Peter wouldn't even say Jesus' name. That's how far he was trying to distance himself from the God-man who just hours before in verse 31, he had vowed to defend even to his own death. Peter, the most vocal defender of Jesus while in his circles, when confronted with the prospect of having to defend Jesus outside of those circles, absolutely lost it. Verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. In Luke's account, Luke 22, 60 through 61, we learned that at the very moment the rooster crowed the second time, Jesus was being led across the courtyard through the passageway to be taken to the Roman governor Pilate, where he would be brutally beaten, mocked, condemned, and sent to die on a gruesome torture device at the hands of the Romans. And as he was being led through the passageway, Luke records, Jesus looked right at Peter, who was trying to hide himself in the shadows. Jesus would have passed right by him. And though Jesus had stood firm in his trial above, Peter caved in his trial below. And Jesus knew it. Jesus, the rescuer, God the Son in the flesh again on his way to the cross, locked eyes with one of his own disciples who betrayed him. And Peter broke. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, it seems very easy to play the blame game with Peter. What a Pathetic little man. I wouldn't have done that. I would have stood tall. I would have sung Stephen Curtis Chapman's For the Sake of the Call. I would have shared the Roman road with everyone. I would have been strong. I would have been brave. And maybe that's true. Maybe you would have. 
do you know what I fear? If I can be really honest with you. You know, Peter was bold in big things when he had a crowd. But he could shrink away in the small things when it became isolated and personal. And I fear the fact that sometimes I see that same posture of Peter's lurking in me. So I can, I can stand here in front of hundreds of you today and declare boldly and with confidence that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. He is my creator. He is my redeemer. He is my friend. And I surrender to him and seek daily to repent of my sin and follow after God by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can say that boldly, unequivocally, and without hesitation before you today. But when the lady at Great Clips wants to know what I do as a job, I get clammy. When the person at the coffee shop is saying things using Christ's name that no person should say, I just want to look the other way. I just want to go to Chick-fil-A where everybody loves Jesus all the time. <laughs> I want to sink into my headphones and hide behind my book. You know, I find it really easy to talk about Jesus in the big moments in here with you folks. But out there with them, what will they think? What will they say? What will they ask? It's just easier to not raise that hand and say, I'm with Jesus. Yet I hear Jesus' words in Mark 8, 34 through 38. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, Peter in the courtyard of the high priest, when confronted with the prospect of having to tell the truth about his relationship with Jesus to a little girl, was fearful. And sometimes I feel that in me too. Not because I don't love or don't want to follow Jesus, but because sometimes it's the smaller situations that expose bigger truths. I don't know what people will think or do, and in those situations, I see that those things hold a much greater weight and importance to me than I think they do. Being bold for Jesus seems really big, easy, and simple in the big trials. Like if we were standing before the authorities who were demanding our confession, I believe many of us would be ready to give it. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
We're ready for the big trials. It's the little ones that we fear. We're prepared to stand before governors and kings and say, I am with Jesus. But how many of us have told our neighbor? That one who gives us a friendly wave as we pull in the driveway. Or when our coworker or classmate shows flashes of wanting to know what's, what's going on with this Jesus. What, what, what is this Christianity all about? How many of us have said, I can tell you. I know Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I think had Peter gone in with Jesus before the Sanhedrin, he probably would have stood boldly beside him, endured every strike to the head with him, and even been willing to take up his own cross and die, which eventually he did. But Peter chose to follow Jesus in this situation, verse 54, at a distance. He was willing to follow Jesus, but only so far as he felt safe. Let me ask you today, is that how you follow Jesus? You know, the good news is we know the rest of the story. But even though Peter denied Jesus, Jesus didn't deny Peter. Jesus would restore Peter in John 21, 15 through 17, three times asking Peter if he loved him. And three times instructing Peter to care for his sheep, the church. And then in Acts 2.14, Peter stands up before a tremendous crowd, many of whom are mocking Peter and the disciples. And he boldly gives a gospel sermon and around 3,000 people are saved. The same Peter who hid from Jesus in the courtyard on that Passover night would decades later encourage the church with these words in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when, not if, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. How is it that this same Peter, who when confronted in the courtyard denied even knowing Jesus, how is it that he could one day not only write these words with confidence, but live them out, even to the point of his own martyrdom? Did Peter just get stronger? Did he just get braver or more resolute? No. What happened to Peter was that upon seeing Jesus die on the cross, and then three days later seeing him alive, and then being filled himself with God the Spirit, 
Peter shifted his perspective and Peter quit focusing on Peter. And he began to focus on Christ. And this is what told him, how can we suffer for righteousness sake? How can we always be ready to share about the hope that's in us? As he says, as he continues in verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Peter says that the courage to stand firm for Jesus and the strength to be his witness, not only in the big scary things, but in the small, seemingly insignificant things, comes not from us or from our situation, but by looking to what Christ has done for us. We don't look at what the gospel might cost us, we look at what it cost him. We don't look at our status in the eyes of the world. We look at our status in the eyes of God. We don't fear what people may say or do. We surpassingly rejoice in what God in Christ has already said and done. You know, ultimately, we can be bold to speak of Jesus in every situation, big and small, because it is not us who speaks. It is the Spirit of God who testifies to Jesus even beyond the words that we can find. Mark 13, 11 through 13, Jesus said, And when, again, not if, when they bring you to trial, they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit and brother will deliver brother over to death, the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So how do we endure? Well, we fear not man, but God. We focus not on ourselves, but on Christ. And we run not to the shadows, but we proclaim to everyone in times both big and small that yes, we are with Jesus, no matter what. And this Jesus is my rescuer and my Christ, and he is who he says he is, Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your boldness in enduring the lies, the accusations, the curses, not only from those who hated you and wanted to see you dead, but God, from those who were afraid of any affiliation with you. God, we thank you that though we often fail in our pursuits and our desire to honor you, we thank you that you are so faithful with us. And Jesus, we do love you, and we want to love you more. 
We trust you and we want to trust you more. So God, help us to live as your people boldly and with confidence because we know what you have done. And let us rejoice in that so that all may see and may all may come to know and rejoice as well that you are the Savior and the Lord of all. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen.